There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. What have you heard? What has Mitch told you? Mitch told me, hey, I've got a, a podcast request from a bunch of lame guys. Do you want to do it? And um, I was like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Wow. Honestly, some, summed it up better than we could have. Okay, good. <laughs> Something I wanted to ask you out of the gates is how sick are you of speaking on behalf of your mustache? Oh, it's gone now. But definitely there's annoying aspects about it, right? Because it's either the mustache or it's the joggers. It makes you want to get rid of, especially the mustache, makes me want to get rid of it to just avoid the silly questions. Yeah, it, it was fun for a while, but in the end it gets a little too much and, and you change and you move on. What's interesting, you're a good looking cat either way. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Do you realize that? Like, do you wake do you wake up in the morning, and look in the mirror, and be like, "Damn, I really didn't need it." <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't. But I appreciate that. We're all about platonic male love on this podcast. That's good. Okay? I love that. I when, love that. When Connor and Drew and I get together, it's a love fest. I love so it. So now dude. you're in on it. <laughs> I'm all about the love. My uh, my wife definitely likes the uh, the full beard a bit more. So she definitely kind of coasted me along that route. Um, and, and I think that you just get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm done with the stash now. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a change. And, but yeah, I don't wake up and go, oh, damn son, how you doing? Um, <laughs> but I appreciate that regardless. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe now you start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That might be something I have to do a little self therapy in the morning. Yeah. I, uh, I got a recommendation for a book. Um, by a friend of, of the show mm -hmm. and it's called the, the high five or like the magic of the high five or something. Okay. So she told me you, you know, as a morning ritual, she would go to her, uh, her bathroom mirror and give herself a high five. Oh, wow. You know, just like the theory behind it was like the high five is like one of baby's first signs of communication. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, like my my baby's 11 months today and like in the last two weeks she's learned the high five and um wow. like it's brilliant you know so yeah you're spot on it's one of the first things they learn yeah and it's like it's just like that positive affirmation mm -hmm. you can give yourself every single morning you know what it uh and to her credit it started out silly but now it's like a really a, a positive well, part of her morning ritual i can believe that um i mean i've I've done some mirror work, I guess, you know, where mm -hmm. I talk to myself in the mirror um, in the third person. And um, it's got some incredible effects, you know, whether it's before a round or before an evening I go to bed, like telling myself how, how I want to be or how I'm going to be the next day. And yeah, I mean, I can definitely see how the high five has got the same effect. It's, it's, it can do brilliant stuff. Is that something that you've been working on for a while or was there a point in your life where you sought out help or, or sought out a mentor? I sought out help in 2015 from a, a sports psychologist back home in South Africa that I, that I used to work with and she was brilliant. Yeah, she was, that was really my first intro into psychology and, and specifically, I guess, sports psychology, but you can, t you know, use these things into, in all walks of life. And yeah, one of those things was was sort of we called it doing mirror work and, and talking to myself in the mirror. And it sounds kind of weird and you feel a little crazy when you start out, but the mind's an incredible, powerful thing. And, you know, you don't always get it right, but I think continuously um, working on those things and sort of being tapped into those kind of kind of frequencies, I think it's it's important and can really have, a, have an impact in your life. 
Totally. In addition to the the mirror work that you have established as part of your like routine or ritual, what other tactics or skills or processes or habits have you built into your daily life, not only through playing golf, waking up before a tournament round, but just in your daily life that you do with intention and that you do with purpose? Yeah, it ebbs and flows as well. You know, um, I think if I look at my structure at home compared to my structure at, at a tournament week, it's, it's this obviously differences. When I'm home, I want to make sure that, that I'm spending time with, with my wife and family. So it would be something simple as I'd be the one in the mornings waking up and giving my wife a cup of coffee where at tournament weeks, it's um, hopefully it's the other way around because I've got to go do my job. But um, either that or I get a cup of coffee at the golf course. Um, so it's, it's different, but I like writing down. I've got, I guess you can call it a diary. Um, I don't write in it every day, but what helps me, especially like say, let's say I'm home and like I've got three weeks off, I'm the type of guy that likes to feel like I'm always moving forward and I'm always doing something to whether it's self-improvement or improving life in general for for my family or whatever it is. So I like to write things down that I'm going to do today. And when I've sort of ticked them off, I feel accomplished. So stuff like that really helps. Your point about like being at home, that being a family time, sort of compartmentalizing your mm-hmm. two worlds that you live in. It's it's funny, like yeah. I very much view golf as when I'm playing for fun, when I'm playing practice rounds, when I'm playing with friends as a very selfless act, as like we're sharing this experience together. It's not really about me. It's about the community. It's about the the tunes that we're listening to. It's about the vibe, right? And then when you play in tournaments, it's a very selfish situation you're playing for yourself you're you're keeping your score for you there's money on the line there's there's you know if you lose mm-hmm. a ball that that hurts can you describe what that difference is again you know the the selfish version of golf versus like the selfless version of golf and how those work in your worlds or if you see it differently no um i started smiling because uh, this might be quite sad but i can't remember the last time that i, I played with mates and, or, or I played around at golf. Well, I guess, I, I guess I could look at it a week ago or a few days ago. I, I missed the cut at the Memorial, unfortunately. And on Saturday, I went to go play golf with, with one of my best mates. He was best man at my wedding. And mm-hmm. he had to Monday qualify yesterday for the US Open at uh, Springfield Country Club in Ohio. And so I played Saturday, I played that golf course with him. I played Springfield with him. And that was a great time because we're all friends. Um, but I've never really thought of it that way. Um, and I think you're spot on because it is different, right? Playing with mates and, and playing a practice round for a tournament, like US Open next week, like there's one job during my practice rounds and that's to get to know the golf course as well as I possibly can. Where do I want to hit it? Where's a good place to leave these balls? Where is not so good? Where are they going to put the pins? which by the way, their screens look incredibly small. So they're only going to have a ton of pin placements. But so again, it's a very selfish way. Like I'm not there for the vibe. I'm not there to hang out with mates and friends and um, have a good time. But I can absolutely see where you're coming from. Like, you know, for me, almost every single day, I look at, okay, it is almost embitment for my career. Like I wake, I woke up at 5.30 this morning and worked out. Because, hey, I like working out and like I enjoy it, but as well, like I'm working towards being a better golfer. So the selfless part of it, 
I experienced less and less and less. Um, I experienced that a lot more um, when I was younger. And I guess maybe golf has just become a lot of it has become my job. And there's a certain responsibility that comes with that. But I think you've kind of enlightened me a little bit. I want to get back to that a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important because it reminds you of, of why you play the game, you know, and why you started to begin with. And that's because you love the game. And most importantly, you love doing it with your friends. Mm-hmm. If there's anything I know about yeah. Connor is that at one conversation with him will enlighten you in, in one way or another. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you think are some ways that you can work that in? if at all, in a in a, a week where you're prepping for a big tournament or going into a major or, you know, you, you might have a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday before the tournament and you're like, yo, let's let's go. Let's go mess around. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that is so key. And it's maybe something that I've lost sight of um, lately. I haven't been playing great. I, I recently struggled with my back again. I took four weeks off off to RBC Heritage, which I almost won, and my back was a mess. So I was quite disappointed. You know, I sort of, I thought I was kind of finding some flow and playing great, but then that happens, and then I miss three cuts in a row. First tournaments I play again, and my caddy is also one of my best friends, and he's been taking a lot of slack, unfortunately, from my end. But almost realizing and coming, you know, coming to the realization that, hey, it's my best mate on the bag. Like, this is still fun. I still get to play golf for a living. And it still is a game. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, you guys did some really, this is almost like a psychology session we're having here. That's <laughs> the name of the podcast. I, I also, I, I want to be cognizant of the fact that, like, I want to remove the stigma from the word selfish because I think. Mm even when you are in tournament mode and you're playing selfish golf, that selfishness ultimately is for the support of your family. It's for your own mental well-being. It's for for the support of your team. It's like you're playing for yourself, but it will inevitably benefit many more people in your bubble. So I just wanted to call that out too. Selfishness is not bad. Yeah, I like to think of it almost as self-centeredness. Like you need to be self-centered in what you do. Um, to be a professional golfer. Um, and I guess you can relate it to, to team sports as well, even though it's slightly different. Like if you take the NFL, um, the positions are very uh, specific, right? Whether mm-hmm. your special teams or the quarterback, like Tom Brady's got a specific job that he needs to do. And if each guy does his individual job well, the team functions well. Mm-hmm. So there's um, self-centeredness in that as well. But golf, it, it stands out above everything else um perhaps tennis as well because it's so individual but i have to be self-centered like focused to do this job well um and when i do that then obviously my family will prosper and the people around me will prosper as well random question this is uh has nothing to do with the question connor just asked what were your grades like when you were younger your marks in in school yeah they, they were fine um I didn't like school a ton. I enjoyed, and uh, most people will probably say this, but I enjoyed being with friends. I love playing team sports. Um, and in college, my, my grades were fine as well. Um, never really had a problem with that. Why do you ask? There's, there's also a stigma uh, about golfers that uh, they're not very intelligent. And I don't get that sense from, no, from you whatsoever. <laughs> 
No, I'm, I'm usually not the party starter. That would be my caddy, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but I'm definitely one of the guys that, that stays till late, you know. Um, I, and I think you make, some, you make some very, very good points. Like growing up in South Africa, uh, um, I wasn't the number one junior golfer. And there were other kids my age, slightly older, slightly younger, and they all dropped out of high school, like mm. 10th grade through the 11th grade, thinking mm. that, you know, they're going to be the next Ernie Els mm. um, of South Africa. And, like, <laughs> it's sad to say this, but none of them have got to the level um, that they at least thought they were going to achieve. And I think that's part of my upbringing. You know, my, my dad was adamant that school comes first and Mm -hmm. that having good grades is important. Like, I mean, if I'm, you know, touch wood, if anything happens where I can't play anymore, like, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. You know, and that's a reality. Like injuries happen in golf. My back's been, been an issue the last two years. Um, Thank goodness, nothing major, but still I'd like to be more in life than just a guy that, that knows how to swing a golf club and hit a little white ball around. And I think in order to, to be a good golfer, all your ducks need to be in a row off the course as well. You know, you talk about guys that got in trouble with the law or maybe weren't responsible. I think it's almost the other way around. Like if my stuff isn't in order at home, then it's not going to be in order on the golf course. Like you see that time and time again. Um, Walking the straight and narrow, I think, is key. Uh, I can't be a party animal and and expect that I'm going to be a a top 10 golfer in the world. I just don't think it works that way anymore. Like there's there's too many good players. Right. It's interesting that you you said that, you know, you ducks have to be in a row off the Mm -hmm. course. I spent a lot of time on social media as is like – basically my my job yeah and there's like a faction of the golf watching playing amateur community that are quick to jump on a player after they've made a, a, a big life move like like getting married mm. having mm-hmm. a kid they went back to school just graduated from from what and and you know oh they miss a cut and it's oh see what happens when you mm-hmm. when you stop focusing and it bothers me because that self-improvement if you you know you you marry the love of your life you have Mm -hmm. a kid you get a dog you buy a house but those are those are positive things right in your life right and for the amateur community for the folks that are watching that are not inside the ropes like you and like your contemporaries that don't see it the same way Mm -hmm. it's like Oh, if you improve yourself off the course, that's a distraction, and that's why you're not performing. Yeah, you know, I played the Masters for the second time this year, and um, I was lucky enough to have my parents in town. So my first time they were there as well, um, second time for me. But um, we're sitting out front of the clubhouse on the lawn and having lunch, and you're under these beautiful like white and green umbrellas and whatever, and the people are walking past you and they literally stop and take pictures. And I look at my dad, I'm like, like, we're like the monkeys in the zoo here. Like that's Mm. literally what it is. And I'm the monkey eating my lunch. And then I go and I perform and play golf and they clap for me and hopefully I do well, but it's just, it's almost like 
I'm on display the whole time. And if I don't live up to that expectation of them, so if I get married and now I miss a couple of cuts, then it's not good. Like it's not cool, you know? And it's just so tricky. Like, like, dude, I'm still a normal dude. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Um, like I have other interests and just like you guys and people, people form this, um, this idea that I'm, or not just me, but that all we do is golf and we are these golfing machines and these idols. And like, we still have lives and I still want to get married or take my girlfriend out to dinner or make some, like you say, some positive change in my life. And heaven forbid it has an impact on my golf. It's interesting how people view you just because you're some sort of entertainer and good at what you do. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, we uh we we were talking about on the show a, a few a few episodes ago when J.R. Smith won the the NBA championship and he and he recently talked about how the fact that he thought that by reaching the pinnacle of basketball, the Larry O'Brien Trophy, NBA champion, that he would feel complete, that he would feel whole, and he said that after that he had never been more depressed in his life because he had been working towards this goal of winning an NBA championship, but since he was a kid, you know, he wanted to make it to the league. He wanted to make it to the to the finals, to the to the championship. And he said that he realized that he was placing his self worth on what society had, had taught him at a very young age that winning is the only thing that will bring you joy and will complete you. And what you were saying about how when you feel like you're on display and that society only wants to cheer for you when you win or when you're yeah. when you're at the the top whether it's uh the u.s open or the masters right. it's sad that that is where society has placed the value and that you can't just be whole as a as a, as a as a person like eric has other interests like you said yeah i'm just a guy like everyone else and we yeah. should be able to celebrate eric the the person not just eric the golfer yeah you know you're, you're so right and perhaps that starts with with me or um, the individual because there's a part of me and, and, and I think JR probably struggled with the same thing there's this idea that golf sometimes becomes my identity and when I play well oh I'm the man and, and my ego is massive and then when I don't play well I, I get so down in the dumps and it's so there's this attachment from personal level to how I perform and there is this idea that, man, if I can win this tournament and have that green jacket and get number one in the world, then I've made it. That's hard. That's a hard thing to sometimes put aside because the logic doesn't make sense with that. Um, because I've already experienced what it means to win. And then, hey, there's another tournament next week, you know. So it's so fleeting and it doesn't bring you lasting joy. So... I think it almost, I understand society and because at the end of the day, we are entertainers, right? If it wasn't entertaining, then no one would come to tournaments and watch and I wouldn't be getting paid for what I do. So I am an entertainer. So I understand from society's perspective that they're watching and um, they're cheering for the guy that, that's the most exciting. Fair enough. So I almost think it's, it has to start with me realizing that, yeah, I, I want to win because I'm competitive and I, and I love being competitive. I find joy in that avenue, but lifting that trophy 
shouldn't change who I am and vice versa. Missing the cut shouldn't change who I am. And that's sometimes tricky to tricky to do. There's this really interesting concept that has been birthed by social media and the internet, which is parasocial relationships and the idea that an audience member has a degree of connection with an entertainer, a celebrity, somebody they see on social media. We're able to watch interviews of Eric Van Royen and and see his personality and see and learn about his family and his kid and his, you know, his habits and his rituals. And we as audience members develop although completely virtual and completely one-sided, a relationship with that character. There isn't really a question in there. It's more of just like, do you feel that? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an interesting thing because social media has opened this window into people's lives. And sometimes the life they portray is completely fake. Um, sometimes yeah. there's a bit of realness. You obviously have the option of showing people what you want to show them. But there is a sense of people almost owns a little piece of you. Like take take the PJ Championship last year, for example, when I smashed that team marker. Like obviously, like where's part of me? Like, do you know what I mean? Like that should have never happened. And um, that's not really who I am. Heaven but I get emotional about something mm-hmm. or in that case, angry. And it's like, oh my goodness, I need to be this example for society and that's not necessarily true so people people expect me to behave in a certain way and, and they, they they almost like you say like they, they get to know you a little bit and if i don't conform to that then that's not cool and i've experienced this like i, I get where you come from because like taylor hawkins from the foo fighters passed away not long ago um yeah he was the drummer for the foo fighters and like, I still feel sad thinking about that because I watched, like they were, they were probably my favorite band. I watched every interview. I know every song. I know every drum line. And they're not probably going to make music ever again. And like, right. I think of Taylor and I get sad and I didn't even know the guy. Do you know what I mean? Right. So right. It, social media has definitely opened this window into people's lives and people think that they know you, but they, they really don't. On that note, too, like your entire career is on full display. Like you are in on dispute mm-hmm. when you were on the course, there's cameras, there's fans, there's social media, there's all of that. How much do you feel like that affects your actual golf game to the point where you're like thinking about image instead of thinking about score and all, all the way down to like the outfit that you chose to wear that day or, you know, how you yeah. walk on the course, things like that? Yeah, I don't think about it a ton, to be honest, which is probably a good thing. I wear the outfits that I wear because I like wearing it. But one thing, one thing that was that's curious, you know, Netflix is doing a thing with the PJ Tour, similar to with the Formula One show, and and I'm not a part of it. And I was thinking, damn, like, how would I, what would I say differently, or how would I react differently if I was mic'd up right now? Yeah. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing we're not mic'd up all the time. But yeah, I, I would be, I would be thinking about everything I do and and everything I, I say, especially the conversations between myself and my caddy. And I think for me, it would be completely intrusive. Um, and I'd struggle to actually focus on my job and what what, what I'm here to do. So I'm glad that's not happening at the moment. I ah, man, I, I don't, I don't really notice the cameras 
uh, quite honestly, I don't know. We don't notice the people. Like it's yeah. almost like they become part of the furniture in a sense. Yeah. Like 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 a lot of people will yell stuff and they kind of expect a response. Like like I hear it, dude. But like that's the hundredth time someone said, "Love the mustache." Like, <laughs> so I just don't respond anymore because it's like, so yeah, most of the time I don't, I don't really notice those things or, or take note of it. Yeah. For the record, we hate those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's annoying, <laughs> man. It's annoying. Yeah. And, and each one of them thinks that, that they're the first one to make some sort of comment <laughs> that day. Yeah. Like, dude, yeah. you didn't come up with mashed potatoes <laughs> and it's the 10th guy that said it today. Like, yeah, it's just funny. Yeah. Yeah. Part, part of me, I, I know that golf is the like this gentleman's game and, and you know, you clap respectfully and you're quiet when people swing. But part of me wishes that people talked during golf like every other spectator sport, um, except yeah. for maybe tennis, um, sure. because it's just <laughs> whenever I'm playing friendly, friendly rounds with with, uh, with my my friends, we I'm like, please do not stop talking while I'm hitting. Like it. I don't care. Like, it's not going to bother me. Like people when Steph Curry shooting a three, there's thousands of people yelling hoping that he misses it's just like that's like i would much i would much rather prefer people talking than not talking it's a great point because it's almost there where for us at least you expect it to be quiet and so when someone makes a noise that's it's a distraction but Mm -hmm. if, if you expect it noise and there was noise the whole time you wouldn't really hear it um, like I obviously don't get the best, like the biggest crowds right off the bat, unless I'm um, in contention on Sunday. And so when there's a lot of people, you don't see one guy that moves and it's not a distraction, but when there's like 10 people and I'm having this 10 foot putt and you're on the other side of my line behind the green and you move, like I see you. And it was kind of similar oh, wow. to that. Like if people yeah. were just making noise, you wouldn't really hear it. Um, yeah, may, hey, maybe in the next hundred years that'll change. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, the online therapy platform that the three of us use. I use it religiously, and it's led to a great relationship with a therapist that I have from anywhere in the country. We love it because you can pick and choose someone just like dating, but even better since this is such a a very personal time commitment and position that you're putting yourself in. And you can take 10% off your first month of therapy using our link. And if you use code GGT at checkout, that will activate that 10% off your first month, courtesy of Group Golf Therapy and BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com slash GGT for 10% off your first month of service. Hit them straight, mind your golf, and stay tuned for our better help moment of clarity later in this episode. You brought up your relationship with Alex earlier, your caddy, and I want to hear more about that for you. Like, what, What do you think it means for you to have a relationship with your caddy that goes outside of the golf course versus, you know, there's some men and women who play professionally who like change caddies like they change socks during the day right Sungjae M had the had the nickname caddy killer last year because they went through like <laughs> nine caddies dude in one season <laughs> so wow. yeah we gotta talk to that guy that's a brutal nickname to get but i guess well earned um yeah. 
So yeah, I'm, I'm curious like what, what that means to you to have that relationship with Alex and could you imagine it any other way? Does it have to be somebody that you're like tight with? No, it could definitely be a different way and players are different. Like you've seen a few more players recently, I think in the last five years or so, have friends on the bag or a brother on the bag like Dustin. Yeah. Look, first and foremost, it's imperative that he does basics well, right? And for me, that entails, like, if I'm asking you, like, obviously, I, it's my job to get to know the golf course as well. But let's say, for example, the pins tuck back left. Sometimes missing it long left is okay compared to missing it on the fat side. Like, sometimes you have to go up and over, and that's a really tough chip as opposed to being short-sided back into the wind slightly uphill. Like, that's easy. So if I ask him, like, how's it around this spot here? And he doesn't know, like, that's not cool. So, like, obviously you need to get the basics down. But then what is cool is in between shots, like, we spent most of our time in between shots. Like, there's 40 seconds per shot. You know, the rest of it's walking and talking a bunch of rubbish. And I enjoy that he's on my bag because we can do that. We've known each other since I was a sophomore. And, um yeah, man, there's, there's that relationship. And I think it keeps things light. It keeps things light. Whereas opposed to if I had someone that's just is, you know, older and, and we don't have a connection, that'd be tough for me. Is there something that Alex keeps in the bag for you that is like just for you? Like maybe it's mm-hmm. um, your favorite kind bar or maybe it's your favorite chapstick (laughs) or dude it doesn't it doesn't function that way um if it's it's just way too clinical like it's this is the job this is what i'm doing like if i don't ask him to put something in the bag it's not in the bag (laughs) okay well now that we're talking about it is there something that you want that you want in the bag ah damn no like i carry a banana, uh, some almond butter, like in the, the sachets, you know. Um, Sachet away. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, for the like, for the most part, y'all are taken care of. Like they they have water and yeah, everything. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're yeah. taken care of. Like sometimes the snacks in the golf course isn't necessarily what I'd eat. Like it's there's Snicker bars and stuff like that. Like damn, I don't I don't need the sugar kick on the fifth hole, you know. Yeah, I, I make sure that that my nutrition's taken care of. There's nothing else that he could bring uh, that would. It would brighten my day, I guess. I'm trying to think, but yeah. I well, for me, because I don't have any sponsors yeah. and like don't have any, you know, contractual obligations sure. to have or not have anything on my golf bag that is visible to, to the public. But like I, I tie a scarf around my bag just because it reminds me of my mom and my sister. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's really what the question is. Like, I hear is you. there I hear like you. something that you kind of like you tuck away just for you that, that that's like that reminder or you know there's what i have is i have a small um like a pouch that i bought at augusta um and it's got the little augusta national logo on it and i put all my coins in there that i mark my ball with and i have that for multiple reasons but because i love augusta national but also because it's, man, I want to win that tournament so bad. So it's just always that reminder of, hey, this is what I'm working for, you know. Um, so that's always in the bag. That's always in the bag, yeah. What are you going to do with the bag 
or that that um, the keepsake from Augusta when you win it. Oh, I just keep it. Let's go win another one. <laughs> no, I don't Love know. It. I haven't gone that. I haven't gone that far yet. Um, like I've, I've we're room in the house here where I've, uh, there's a TV and a few of my guitars and like my Barracuda trophies there, my European Tour trophies there, and uh, a few bits and pieces of like majors that I played in. So I've got little pieces of memorabilia. And I don't know if I'll ever take that little baggie out of my golf bag but that's kind of where i keep all the rest of my stuff so maybe it'll go on the on the mantel piece one day I, i'm really into um love languages i don't know if you're familiar with with this eric but um mm. i'm curious like I, I don't i don't think i've ever mm-hmm. like explored this topic before but what is your what do you think your love languages are on the golf course like do you do you respond well to words of affirmation from fans and alex do you like do you know what i mean do yes. you have something like that that you can think of um, on the golf course, definitely not touch. <laughs> like, don't hold my hand as we're walking down the fairway. <laughs> what, but, a sight, what a sight that would be, though. Huh? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, words of affirmation is a big one for me, um, especially from my caddy. Like the fans, it doesn't really, it goes in and out. I can't even remember all five. Like it's, I know it's touch, it's words of affirmation, it's gifts. Uh, acts of service Mm -hmm. that's a big one for me acts of Mm -hmm. service um on and off the golf course quality Uh, time yeah i think for me as a person the quality time is not as a major factor for me that's just from a personal level for my wife that's more of a a, one of her love languages but yeah probably words of affirmation and and acts of service that would be the two biggest ones And, and that's really what what the caddy is supposed to do, I guess. Yeah. Although, I mean, like, again, the physical touch would be <laughs> wild. That would be what a, what a, what an experience that would be on the golf course. I mean, that would add a whole other layer to the broadcast experience. I'm going to go live on Instagram next week, practice rounds, and we're going to be holding hands walking down the fairway. Just just tag us in the post. Yeah. Just you got it. You got it. You got um, it. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so, so Baba Booey doesn't do it for you. Yeah, no, Baba Booey doesn't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like we should get into some uh, meat and potatoes. Do it. What are some of your favorite golf smells? Freshly mown fairway smell, um, like early morning. And that is the best thing ever. Like the fairways mown, the greens are mown. You're like the first one out. There's still a bit of dew on the grass and you can smell it. I can't quite, I don't quite know how to describe it, but it's that, it's that freshly mown, grass is still slightly wet kind of smell. Yeah. Mm. Is there a grain specific smell that you've picked up on tour that you're like, oh, that's that's in your field, that's <laughs> no, the, the no, poet, no, 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 the poet that, knew it was smelling yeah. fresh this morning. Yeah, oh, that's a good question, but yeah, I've not gone that specific. <laughs> it is a good question. Like golf courses have terroir, like yeah, wine I mean, vineyards have terroir. You know, yeah, you think of. Like the smell of pine trees, like I immediately go to Augusta, right? Mm. But I've never gone like, mm, that's PJ National at the Honda Classic, or <laughs> mm, that's like like that's Riv, you know? No, that's never quite happened. That's like <laughs> what a bizarre skill that would be, though, Eric. Um, maybe surprisingly, you're our first uh, PGA Tour current PGA Tour player to to grace the the podcast studio um yeah so we're obviously thrilled to have you but the question that we've got is so i know you're a musician 
I know that's a big part of your life. What would be your walk-up song or what has been your walk-up song? Oh, ACDC came to mind right off the bat. Um, Mm -hmm. Back in Black would be awesome. Um, Classic. Yeah, just guitars, heavy drums, and that voice is iconic. So, yeah, probably that. Gets the people going. I'm making a playlist of these answers, and that's the first ACDC we've had. Mm -hmm. But it's I might bump that up toward the toward the top of the list like it's a classic acdc man. is a flex it is on the golf course <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> what are some of the other artists you've had the cure is on here yeah we've got drake we got yeah. dmx we've got lady brie drake could be cool there's a couple of cool drake songs but yeah man rocks is my go-to like i can't escape that you know he's an axe man we heard you mention you got some guitars in the yeah yeah what, what, what are you working on right now what are you what are you strumming? Uh, I've got uh, a few guitars at home. Um, I've got a Martin acoustic. I've got a Strat, a Tele, and a Jaguar. And I've got a Gibson ES335. So I've got a lot at home. Cool. Um, and I've got two in South Africa. And I'm currently in, I've got to wait like five more months to get the this Fender Custom Shop guitar that I designed with them. And it'll be ready in like five months time. So I love guitars. I have nicer guitars than what I am worthy of playing. That's for sure. (laughs) But yeah, man, when I'm home and when my baby is sleeping or either gone, uh, I love to crank it up and make some noise. Have you spent more on guitars or golf clubs? Guitars by far, by far. Well, you get your clubs for free. You also have to. Come on. I was going to say you have to keep in mind. Like, (laughs) I was very fortunate. I was part of this academy in South Africa, and we uh, got at the time tailor made equipment. And so the last time I paid for golf club had to have been like ninth grade. Wow. So I've been, like, like I've been very fortunate. I don't have to pay for that stuff anymore because golf stuff's expensive. Don't we know it? True. <laughs> yeah. And that's a whole other can of worms that we could get into at, at a later date. Yeah. Um, this question is, this is the first time that this question has been asked where it could actually come true. Let's say you win the masters, mm-hmm. you go to Augusta, your parents are there. You, you pull out the performance of a lifetime. You win the masters. And this comes with a bonus question. What is on your championship dinner menu the next year? I've thought about this for a long time, as every professional golfer that wants to win the Masters does. There is a South African snack called biltong. Biltong is similar to beef jerky, but it's different. It's more saltyish where beef jerky is sweet, I feel like. That would be part of the pre-dinner snacks. And probably... A South African braai is what we call it. Braai is the South African version of a barbecue, um, except mm-hmm. we have traditionally there would be lamb chops, could be steak. There would be a South African sausage called gudavors. There would be potato salad, like what we call braai broiki, which is a, a barbecue sandwich. And on the sandwich, you butter the outsides or you butter both sides and on the inside, you put tomato, cheese, onion, and chutney, and then you grill it. Then with that would be a salad, and it's amazing. And that's the whole meal. So there's a lot of meat involved. There's a salad. There's potato salad, usually. Probably like some South African red wine of some sorts. These are the meat and potato questions. 
to be fair. So it's true. There you yeah. go. You've got your meat and potato. <laughs> you nailed it. Quick bonus question. Pimento cheese. Yes or no? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Eric, it's, dis- it's the first time I've felt disappointed by you today. It's the only place in the world that I eat it is when I go there. Yeah. And so okay. it reminds me of the tournament. And so that's why it's a yes. It's not so much the pimento cheese. Um, does that make sense? It tastes like ass, it, but yeah. it's nostalgic. So <laughs> I would give the sandwich, the pimento cheese, I would give it a five out of ten. But because it's at the masses, I would bump it up to like seven and a half. Okay. Fuck yeah. Honestly, That's fair. That, that answer only that answer only improved with age. <laughs> the sandwich does not improve with age. I can promise you that. Absolutely does not. Yeah, wow. that sandwich sucks. You have a good relationship with your caddy. Sounds like y'all go back a long time. Yeah. I'm sure you have had moments on the course, whether he did something, whether you did something, where you just absolutely lost it, like rolling in the grass crying laughing that kind of lost it okay <laughs> yeah what is the okay. time on the course that you have laughed to the absolute hardest oh um it happens more often than you think and, and quite honestly most of the time it happens off the golf course like on the car ride back to our house or where we're staying hotel whatever or we're working out together. I, so I see. I thought you're going down the road of him doing something wrong or me losing it emotionally, like because that happens, right? And I feel sorry for him because he's recently had to take some 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 abuse from me, uncalled for. So I apologize, Feely. I hope you watched or listened to the podcast. Did it lead to a laugh eventually? I think now it will. Now it will. Um, yeah, like. I I hit this bad shot on the 18th of the first round last week and I hit it into the hazard left and walk and I'm like, there's all this bleeping room on the right and why the bleep do we not look at it and bleep, 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 bleep. And he called me out like two holes later. He's like, what the F are you doing? Like, you're so much better than this. Get your effing head in the game, blah, blah, blah. So we've had it at each other lately, um, but in, in a good way. Like it's all obviously for betterment and to get ourselves ahead in the game. But man, we laugh all the time. Like that's the that's the cool thing about having one of your best mates on the bag. You know, I can't yeah. quite put my finger on your, your question as in where and when and what happened, but it happens occasionally, and that's the best thing about it. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a really grounding thing to have someone. That has that knows you as just Eric the guy versus yeah. Eric the professional golfer with the mustache right. and the, and the joggers, that you you he can level with you at that someone that that doesn't know you as well could never do like they, he's got the he's got the nuts and the authority to <laughs> grab me by the sh- not physically but to grab me by the shirt and go dude like get your head out your ass you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I want him to do that that's why he's on the bag. Um, it's important because I wear my heart to my sleeve. Like I'm a pretty emotional guy. And sometimes that's not a good thing when you're playing golf and to have him on the bag and for him to have the ability to do that is so key. So yeah, man, it's, I, I wouldn't change it. We talked earlier, or, you know, you shared a little bit about your, your journey playing golf and going to the Academy and playing with a degree of selflessness. Um, in a, in a past life. And I'm curious, we ask this question to everybody that we speak to on the podcast. If you could play a round of golf with a younger version of yourself, let's say 16 year old Eric, who's like grinding, 
at the academy, trying to get better, trying to make it to the next level. If you could play, play a round of golf with that version of Eric, what do you think the conversation would look like? Don't stop grinding because like, that's what it takes. And especially I think at that age, I almost didn't grind enough. I feel like ball sports came relatively easy for me. And I feel like, especially at that age, like I didn't practice dude. And I didn't know what it looked like to work hard at this game. And and sometimes I, w- I look back and I wish I worked a bit harder at an earlier age. Um, even though like, I completely believe like we are where we are meant to be at this point in time. So I almost wouldn't want to go back, but yeah, I would say, man, work your absolute ass off because this game is going to beat you down and it does, uh, or it can. Um, and if you, a few things that I would say, like just because you work hard at this game, hard work doesn't equal X. Okay. Not always, but doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. Hi, baby. Sorry, my baby girl's away. Um, Never apologize <laughs> for, the, for the kiddos. I'm going to pick her up. We're ready for the dad, the dad corner. I think this is a GGT first as well. Here we go. Hi, sweetie. This is Valerie. Oh, so hi, Valerie. No, she can't hear us, but no, she can't. Um, so, oh, she's waving. She's waving. (laughs) So, um, like work hard, but do it with a certain level of softness in mind because just because you work hard doesn't mean you're guaranteed success. And sometimes I fall into that trap. Like I'm like, oh, well, I've grinded for the last six months. Like I deserve to win. And it doesn't work that way. You still have to be soft with yourself. Don't be so judgmental. Don't be so critical. Like don't be so hard on yourself. Judge yourself smartly, not just because you missed one cut and now you're the worst golfer on the planet kind of thing. Good guys still hit bad shots. So that's kind of what the conversation would go down is, um, man, I have the knack to absolutely tear myself down and then I go work twice as hard, you know, yeah. And, and that's not always the answer. You have to you have to learn how to flow with these things and you have to learn how to deal with adversity. And I think at that young of an age, I struggled with that kind of thing. So, yeah, I would have told myself just be a little softer in yourself. Things are going to be okay. And if you were to put yourself in 16-year-old Eric's shoes, what do you think he would ask you or say to you? Like what, what would 16-year-old Eric say to the, the guy who – made it to the pga tour who made it to the highest level like what do you think you would be like mind blown i don't know about mind blown because for me and i need to be really careful how to say this because i don't want to come across as this arrogant prick but there was always the belief that i'd get to where i am now do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but at the same time i think there would be a certain level of like whoa man like you're living in america like what like you playing on the pga tour and all these major championships like that's really freaking cool to almost and i and i I hope that that 16 year old would almost give that 32 year old a bit of a pat on the back you know Mm. yeah man did you guys study like psychology or or anything like no years of of therapy my friend years of therapy baby (laughs) 
Eric, I've got I've got one one quick last one for you. Yeah, and this just came me. up due to uh, due to our guest here. As the resident father of the of the podcast, I have, I have two children myself. Has has becoming a dad changed anything with with go- your relationship with golf or how you approach it now? Not really. But what is amazing is um, when I've had a bad day and I step off. And the amount of joy that she, again, from a very selfish perspective, the amount of joy that she provides me is like mind blowing, right? Like nothing I've ever experienced. And so everything else like melts away, becomes somewhat insignificant. And so like when when I'm out there playing, it's not as if I hit a bad shot and I'm like, oh, it's okay because I've got Valerie. Like I'm still pissed and I still want to compete and I still want to win. But when I get off the course, it's like, man, it's all good. It's all good. And look it. at this, bro. Like, how can you not be all good? You know what I mean? I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Anytime Drew sends uh, a photo of his kids to the the chat, it's like, like they're they're not ours, but they feel like <laughs> like those are our kids, man. Like, it, like, like put everything put in perspective. Like, you have those faces mm-hmm. to come home to. Like, a bad shot is it really that consequential it's not man like when you like like when you're 65 one day and you look back and none of that's gonna matter dude none of that's gonna matter this is our our final segment before we go is our better help moment of clarity we have these cards that we call intention cards that have words written on them and drew will randomly pick a card and we'll just have you react to it what does that card mean to you right now in this moment in time so the the intention of today is the word delight my daughter i love it that was easy that was easy so i like to end our group golf therapy sessions like you would end a normal therapy session by reflecting on the time that we spent together and thinking about what we're going to take out of this session moving forward. How do you reflect on this hour that we've spent together? And This was brilliant. Like three guys that I don't know at all. And we could openly and honestly talk about these things and insightful. It made me think about how much time do I actually spend on just enjoying golf? Like it's not it's not a grind, man. It doesn't have to be that much of a grind. And how much time do I spend playing the game that I love because I love it, not purely because it's my job. And that's what I will carry with me from this conversation. Appreciate that. It was a win for us. It was a dub. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.